further oppress them given your great need and don't get me wrong the world that we live in doesn't exist this way today if you have a good credit score you'll get a better interest rate if you have a bad credit score you'll get a worse interest rate because they're not doing it based on the bible it's just economics for them they're like well you're a bad credit risk you're a good credit risk but for the children of israel it's like no no don't charge interest against your brothers you should not make money off of their poverty and god cares about these things it's god's ideas of justice The world we live in is filled with injustice. You don't have to look far to see examples of people hurting or taking advantage of others. But as you'll see today, God wanted his people to be different. Pastor Daniel shares that justice is close to God's heart. He wanted his children to usher in a different way where people were cared for and treated fairly. As you study this passage, you'll see some specific examples of how God intended to do this. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 23 as he continues his message, Keep It Clean. If you look at verse 14, it says, For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp, to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Therefore your camp shall be holy, that he, speaking of God, may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. Now, you want a truth to live your life by? I think this truth is super important. That the Lord walks about in the midst of where we are. Why? To deliver us and to give us victory. See, Jesus said that we're more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. Now think about that for a second. The idea of being more than a conqueror, it's like it's such a blowout that they issue the mercy rule. That's what a more than a conqueror is, right? And so the idea is that in Jesus, we are completely victorious, but you might ask yourself, why aren't I living a victorious life? What is going on that is keeping me from being not just a conqueror, but it's a total blowout? Well, maybe it's the fact that although God wants to deliver us and give us victory, There is uncleanness or unholiness in the camp in our own decisions. And what happens is in the midst of that, God can't abide in that. See, people today talk about the idea of a carnal Christian, right? Which isn't really a Christian at all because a Christian is like Jesus and Jesus isn't carnal, but it's a Christian who's living out into the flesh. They're living out so much in the flesh that their life doesn't look different than any other person. Right, And I think what's going on here is I think that in Christ, there is victory, but we need to abide in that victory. And if you're abiding in the victory, you can't be abiding in the refuse. If you're abiding in Christ, you can't abide in the things that Jesus would not abide in. And so what this does is this brings it down to street level for us and the decisions that we make. And each one of us every single day is confronted with, am I gonna be set apart and honor the Lord, or am I going to walk in the ways of the flesh? That decision, we make it every single day afresh, don't we? Like, you may have made a great decision yesterday, and you may have made a horrible decision today. You may have made great decisions years ago, and now you're not. Like, it breaks my heart. 
You know, you hear stories of people who gave their life to Jesus right here in the sanctuary. They heard the Lord and, and they responded to the gospel and then a year later, they're out doing something and it's all messed up. It's like, what happened? And it's not a judgment because except for the grace of God, any of us can do the same thing. But every single day, we have to make good decisions. Why? Because God's in the midst of it. Like God is ever present right now. If you're in Christ, he never leaves you nor forsakes you. He's with you everywhere that you are. But what happens is, is that when we're involved in all sorts of stuff that breaks his heart, the blessings of his present will not be as tangible. He never leaves us, but our awareness and sensitivity to him starts to get dull. And this happens so often, doesn't it? And I think many of us right now, you're there where you're like, that's me. And if that's you, this is what you need. You need to come to the Lord. It's called repentance. Where you say, Lord, I realize that I am involved in things that I should not be. And Lord, I want to, with your help, I'm going to turn away from those things and I'm going to turn to you. And I'm going to leave those things behind. I'm going to follow you. And Lord, help me to keep my eyes fixed on you. And that's all God asks from you. See, because some of you are thinking, you know what, I got to get this thing cleaned up, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get right with Jesus. No, no. Jesus doesn't say, listen, get yourself cleaned up and then come follow me. He says, listen, come follow me. I'll clean you up as we go. And I love that about the Lord. But if that's you today, just, it's a turning in your heart. That's what repent. It's like you're changing direction. You're just saying, I was going this way and now, Lord, I realize I'm going the wrong way in the midst of my camp. There's all this junk. I'm not, it's not holy. It's not set apart. It's just like the world. And Lord, I'm just turning back. And what I love about Jesus is that Jesus is never like, well, it's about time, you know. But Jesus is like, I've been waiting for you. Like the Lord is standing right behind you in your journey away from God. And when you turn, he's just like, I've been waiting here for you. That's what I love about the Lord. That he knows that we're in process. He knows that we're imperfect. He knows that he's not done with us yet. And he wants us to turn. And when we turn, you know how sometimes when you have someone who keeps messing up and then they mess up and you're like, oh, you're always messing up. You know, every time we turn back to the Lord, you know what he does? He celebrates. Like, the Lord doesn't get like, well, you know, you've been turning from that thing for five years. Every time you turn back, the Lord's like, good, I've been waiting here for you. I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to be present with you. I want you to walk in my spirit. And so, brothers and sisters, listen. I love this because they're being reminded that wherever they are, God is with them. But when God is with us, we want the camp of our lives to be a place that is representative of the Lord not something that has no business in the same sentence as Jesus the Lord. So you see why I'm calling this keep it clean because God wants to keep our assembly, us as individual worshipers clean. He wants us when we're going out to war, obviously the Bible is full of that. The idea that we are in a battle, that we are every single day in this world that we live in, there is a battle that rages not a battle of flesh and blood, but a battle for souls and for eternity. And we want to make sure that we're keeping our camp clean. Now, as we move into verse 15, we have a series of what we like to call miscellaneous laws. I like to call them junk drawers of laws, not because there's junk. You know the junk drawer at your house, right? You need everything in there. 
but you don't know where else to put it, so you stick them all in one spot. So there's like staples in there, and there's like tools to put furniture together in there, and there's all sorts of glue. And if you're like me, you hide some Twinkies in there, some bubble gum. You know, it's like everything that you need, you know, and the little things you put underneath your furniture. You, got, you don't know where else to put them, so you stick them in one drawer, and you can never open that drawer, right? Because there's so much stuff in there. And if you open it, you got to press everything down. And, yeah. So we have a bunch of those here. So let's look at them. Verse 15, it says this. It says, you shall not give back to his master the slave who has escaped from his master to you. Now I think, oh, in verse 16, he may dwell with you in your midst, in the place which he chooses within one of your gates, where it seems best to him, you shall not oppress him. Now what's interesting here is a fugitive slave was not to be handed back over to his master, but was given asylum and freedom within the domain of Israel. Now, a couple things. First, doesn't that sound an awful lot like the Lord? To free those who are enslaved. That's the heart of God. That's the good news of Jesus, that we were slaves to sin and that when we flee into the arms of the Lord, when we flee into where the people of God are, there is freedom. That's important. Now, in our Little is the New Big series, I took the book of Philemon. I kept referring back to this verse because it'd be real easy to think, oh, well, didn't the Apostle Paul just break the law in Deuteronomy 23, verse 15 by sending Onesimus, who was a freed slave, back to Philemon? And remember, I made the case, he didn't send back a fugitive slave, he sent back a brother. And the reality that family brings freedom So there's something deeper at play there, but the idea is that there is asylum for the slave who has fled. Now, in verse 17, it says, there shall be no ritual harlot of the daughters of Israel or perverted ones of the sons of Israel. You shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog to the house of the Lord your God for any vowed offering, for these are an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, I mean, these are some strong verses here. The idea of a ritual harlot or the perverted ones of the sons of Israel, this spoke of, in that culture, there are what you would call the temple prostitutes. So part of the pagan rituals for different of the gods that were worshipped, like Baal, involved all sorts of sexual immorality where there were temple priestesses and priests who all of it was sexual rights. And so the idea here is that although they're going into the promised land and they're worshiping God, there should be none of this kind of cultural temple harlotry that was going on. And so it's very, very clear here. And it says, not only shall there not be any amongst your people, you shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog to the house of the Lord your God. So here what it's saying is not only should there not be these sexually immoral practices that are going on involved with the worship of the true and living God, but any wages made in such an endeavor should not be brought in as an offering either. Why? Because it says here, for these are an abomination to the Lord. Now, I think this is very important because, and we talk about this a lot here, because we live in the world we live in and our world is sexualized, right? And there is cult-like sexual practices that go on every single day. I mean, like as a young person on Snapchat, it's amazing the things that they promote on Snapchat, there's almost always something that is highly sexualized on there. And I just think about all of our, our young kids who watch that every day and they say, oh, I wonder what this thing's about. I wonder what that thing is about. 
And in a lot of ways, what we're doing, our culture is worshiping a false god of sex. And know what the problem is, is that God created the union between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage to be exceedingly pleasurable. Like, God created it to be a beautiful union. But what, of course, what the world does is it wants to warp it. It wants to bastardize it. It takes something and it just makes it, well, it's fun, so we do it. No, no, no. It's way deeper than that. And so one of the things I love about the Bible, of course, is that the Bible has such a high view of human sexuality. It doesn't see it as something demeaning. It sees it as something exceedingly beautiful. Even, dare I say, something that's meant to be worshipful. Because the union of a man and a woman in the bonds of marriage is the physical manifestation of the oneness between Jesus and his church. That's deeply spiritual, isn't it? But what our culture does is it brings it down to purely physical boundaries. And what's amazing is, is it creeps into the church. It's amazing the number of Christians who know what the Bible says and still choose to have sex outside of marriage. Still chooses to, you know, the statistics on Christian men who watch pornography, it's about 80%. Nine out of every 10 Christian men have some regular experience with pornography on the internet. So, my brothers and sisters, listen. We need to keep our bodies set apart for Jesus. We need to say, Lord, this is how I pray. I say, Lord, I live in a sexualized world. Let me be different. Lord, let me lead a pure rebellion in my own life where I'm rebelling against a culture that wants to demean our sexuality and let me live above reproach. Like Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look upon a maiden to lust after her. That's the battle that God's kids fight in this world. And I always tell you, my sisters here, if there's a Christian guy and he's, you know, digging your chili or whatever they say today, I don't think they say that, but whatever. And if he tries to put the moves on you, I want you to poke him in the eye real hard. Because all of our pastors and our leaders, they know if a guy comes in with a big red eye, he needs a talking to. So I kid you not, listen, I'm not kidding. You poke him in the eye. And if he says, why'd you do that? I said, Pastor Daniel told me to, let's go to church. And later, you come in with a big red eye, we're going to give you a talking to. Because those are God's daughters. I would say that, because I realize we live in a culture where women can be just as bad, but I, guys, I can't tell you to poke them in the eyes. That would be unchivalrous. So know what you do at that point? You run like Joseph. If you remember, that's what Joseph did. He didn't poke Potiphar's wife in the eye. That would not be cool, but he ran. And so you got to flee youthful lusts. See, these are the parameters that our Bibles gives us. And they are there for good reason. So we have this here. Now look at what it says in verse 19. It says, you shall not charge interest to your brother, interest on money or food or anything that is lent out at interest. To a foreigner you may charge interest, but to your brother you shall not charge interest that the Lord your God may bless you in all to which you set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess. Now, this is the idea of we should not be charging interests against our brothers and sisters in Christ. And really, we have parallel passages in Exodus 22, 25 and Leviticus 25, verses 35 to 37. And the idea here is that 
one of the ways to oppress people who are impoverished is to charge them excessive interest on the money they need to survive. Let me give you a great example. If you go to a check cashing place, right? If you go to a bank and you cash your check, you get your money. If you go to a check cashing place, they take 30, 40, 50%. Why? Because they're playing on the fact that you don't have a bank account and they're making money off of your poverty. And that's one of the ways you can oppress people. So for the children of Israel, when they needed money for food, and remember, they're just moving into the promised land. They were just slaves. And so if they're in a position of great need, you should not further oppress them given your great need. And don't get me wrong, the world that we live in doesn't exist this way today. If you have a good credit score, you'll get a better interest rate. If you have a bad credit score, you'll get a worse interest rate because they're not doing it based on the Bible. It's just economics for them. They're like, well, you're a bad credit risk. You're a good credit risk. But for the children of Israel, it's like, no, no, don't charge interest against your brothers. You should not make money off of their poverty. And God cares about these things. It's God's ideas of justice, which I think are very, very important. Now, at the same time, they are allowed to charge interest against the foreigner. Why? Because a foreigner is there to be making money. See, the idea is when somebody is outside of where they live, the only reason that they are there is to try and make money. And so if, if, if the situation is about survival, do not make money on someone's poverty. But in the course of business, it is okay. So the idea here is that if your brother, right, chooses to start a capital endeavor, you can charge him interest because it's not about survival. It's about making money and they're borrowing your money. But when it comes down to the care of your brothers, it's a different animal altogether. Now, in verse 21, look at what it says. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be a sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be a sin to you. That which is gone from your lips you shall keep and perform. For you voluntarily vow to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Now, this is laws concerning vows. Now, notice, if you make a vow, God wants you to keep it. In verse 22, if you don't make a vow, it's not a problem. And whatever's gone out from your mouth, you should endeavor to keep. So the idea here is that for each one of us, don't make vows. And there's no problem. If you make a vow, then God wants you to keep that vow. Now, of course, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 to 37 says, But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you not make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now, I know when you read this, someone who's skeptical will say, well, I can make my hair white or black because I can dye it. That's this was before Clairol, you know what I mean? But the idea here is don't make vows. Don't, because the children of Israel were used to doing this. They would say, I'm going to make this vow. I'm going to do this thing. And it says, if you're going to make a vow, then do it. But if you don't make a vow, there's no problem. But if that your yes be yes, then you're no, no. And brothers and sisters, really, what this is about, this is about integrity. It's about integrity. See, there's an old saying that my word is my bond. You know, there was a time when people would make, the, they'd make agreements, they'd shake their hands. I was just reading in the book of Ruth, you know, when Boaz and the other, the potential redeemer, they agreed on it and the one guy took off his sandal and handed it to the guy and everybody was there and it was done. 
But now if you want to go do something, you need like 97. I know you're like, what's up with the sandal? It's a whole other discussion for another day. When you get to the book of Ruth, you know? But in our day and age, you go to make a transaction, you need like lawyers and there's like 97 documents and you got to sign your life away and give your DNA sample and thumbprint and everything in order for something to be put through. But it's because we live in a day and age where people don't honor their commitments. And listen, in the body of Christ, your yes should be yes and your no should be no. And what's beautiful, it says is, you don't have to make vows. And Jesus recommends that we don't make a vow, but when we say we're gonna do something, we should follow through on those things. And it's so important for us because oftentimes all of our promises and our swears and our vows or everything, it's all really just because we don't plan on doing any of this stuff. We just make a big deal about it. But our words should be our bond, you know? Not saying that we should make vows. Jesus said, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything more than this is from the evil one. Let's have two more verses for you. Look what it says in verse 24. It says, when you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put any in your container. And when you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hands, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. Now, the idea here, this speaks of gleaning. And the idea is that if you were moving through someone's field and you were hungry, you could pull a couple grapes and eat it. Or if you're walking through a standing field of grain, you can pluck the heads and you can take the grain off like the disciples did and you can eat it. But the idea is you can't take enough and stick it in your container because then you'd be stealing. So what's beautiful about this is there is a reality for the children of Israel once they go into the promised land that the land is gonna take care of them because God is taking care of them and leveraging the land. And because the land will take care of them, if someone's moving through your field and they're hungry and they see a couple grapes, you can take them. But as long as they're not there with a big container taking all your grapes, that would be stealing from you. And so what it does is it creates this environment where everyone is taken care of, but nobody is taken advantage of by somebody who is being presumptuous with someone else's property. And isn't that like a beautiful sweet spot where everyone gets taken care of but no one gets taken advantage of. The people who have needs, the needs are being met by what God is already doing, but the people who have needs are not taking advantage of those who have means. And what's amazing is this sweet spot where everyone gets taken care of, but no one gets taken advantage of, we still haven't solved yet, have we? But in God's kingdom and in his economy, God desires that we live in such a way that we take care of people's needs and in taking care of their needs, we don't find ourselves being taken advantage of. I think for each one of us, if you are a person who has the opportunity to take care of people, then I'd say do it. Jesus is Thanks for sticking with us as Pastor Daniel continued trekking through the book of Deuteronomy. As he finished up chapter 23, he shared that God wanted to create an environment where people took care of each other without being taken advantage of. What a world that would be. Pastor Daniel shared that even though that's not how things are here and now, God still wants this world for us. In light of this, you were encouraged to share what you have with the people around you who need it. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thanks so much for tuning in today. It's such an amazing honor to share God's word and I love seeing how God is working through this ministry. Would you partner with us? 
I'd love for you to join us in sharing the message that Jesus is real by being a prayer partner or financial supporter. Find out more by visiting our website, jesusisrealradio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel continues to wade through the second telling of the law. In this message, Pastor Daniel will cover several laws about a variety of topics. Once again, you'll see that God wants his people to be different than those who live around them by valuing marriage and protecting the vulnerable. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Blueprints. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.